blatant self-advancements elevates your own name as your hope in life. Welcome to LifeWords Day by Day. I want you to notice a phrase that is repeated in Ruth chapter 4, a phrase that is the main concern of verses 5 and 10. It's this. It says to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his brothers and from the gate of his native place. Within God's law, there was provision made for redeeming someone out of slavery, out of poverty, and even redeeming the line that is potentially at risk of dying out, which is the situation we face in this text here. Elimelech's name, his line, is at risk of dying out completely. The only hope rests on Naomi, who was beyond childbearing years, and now Ruth, who was a widow. And it was considered a curse to have your line die out. In fact, it was often used as a curse. In Psalm 109, verse 13, it says, May his name be blotted out. And this is the concern, that Elimelech's name not disappear from the covenant family of God. I think two issues are at hand. One, there was a real sense of being able to participate in future blessings through your line. Elimelech would lose that blessing if he had no children to carry on his name. No participation in the future blessings between God and Israel as promised in God's covenant. Here's the second issue. Elimelech would symbolically lose his share in the promised inheritance of God because there would be no son to which to pass on the land to. It would be like Elimelech and those before him in his line never existed. This is the real tension of the entire book. Will anyone care about the dead man's name? Does anyone care that this family would not be able to share in the continued blessings of God promised to them and Israel? Is there any hope for redemption here? Will anyone be able to do anything? Well, we've seen Boaz. We know he is a potential redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. But because of his regard for God's word, he's made it known that there is a nearer kinsman than he. And in order to honor God's word, he must make this opportunity known to this nearer kinsman. So he arranges this meeting at the gate. And when this particular gentleman walks by, Boaz says something interesting. He says to him, hey, Mr. What's Your Name? Come here for a minute. Well, maybe that's not the literal translation, but the translation of friend is a bit misleading. It's a pejorative term. This was Boaz's relative. Of course he knew this man's name. But Boaz was saying the equivalent of, hey, Mr. So-and-so. Well, why would the narrator include this particular detail? Well, Boaz explains the situation, and up to a point, this Mr. What's-His-Name is very interested. You can see the wheels turning in his mind, and you can see him scratching his chin, thinking about all the pros to this situation. You mean I can redeem Naomi's land for Naomi? And Naomi is up in years, right, not able to have any more children? So even if I redeem Naomi and her land, her land will be mine, and I can pass it on to my kids? This sounds pretty good so far. All I have to do is make a small investment, and then my piece of the pie gets big. My name becomes greater. Well, on the surface, it looks like Mr. What's-His-Name is willing to be the one. He's willing to do Naomi a favor. It looks like he's ready to follow the word of the Lord in keeping this particular provision. But then Boaz drops a bomb on him. By the way, Mr. What's-His-Name, the day this agreement goes down, you also become the owner of a new wife. 
and you will need to fulfill your Redeemer responsibilities to her and Elimelech. You will need to provide an heir who can inherit the land from you and carry on Elimelech's line. Well, at that point, Mr. What's-His-Name's eyes get really wide. And in a flash, he remembers some excuse as to why he cannot be a part of this redemption process. But here's what's going on. He realizes that in performing the duties of a kinsman redeemer, the land would not really be his, but would belong to Ruth's son. Mr. What's-His-Name would not be able to pass down the inheritance to his own children, but would have to pass it down to the child he would have with Ruth. And on top of that, he'd have to provide for the son throughout his childhood, build an addition onto his house for Ruth, feed them, educate him, braces, basketball practices, flute lessons, field trip permission slips, doctor's visits, even a car. You get the picture. And now that Ruth has been brought into the picture, there was a whole lot more investment involved that this man was not willing to be a part of. And so he backs off. He was willing to honor the word of the Lord when it was easy and it benefited him. You see, this man was not breaking the letter of the law. He was not obligated by the law to do this particular thing. But the spirit of the law, the intent of this provision was to provide a namesake for the dead, a legacy to keep the symbol of God's promise to provide an eternal inheritance to his people. But this man, Mr. What's-His-Name, was only willing to invest in others according to God's word if it didn't cost him too much and if it increased his own namesake. As you pray today, please remember Charles and Mona Costa, our missionaries in Lebanon. And also remember the Dagari Word broadcast heard in Burkina Faso and Ghana.